the 116th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys a couple hours after Carolina in the Final Four New Orleans takes down Duke 81-77 to to end the Coach K retirement tour as Carolina advances and will play for the national championship on Monday night against Kansas and and Carolina. For the second time in a month, beat their biggest rival on the biggest stage at that point in the season. And they did so against all odds. First time in Cameron, Coach K's send-off. Thought no way Carolina could go into that building in that environment and win. They did tonight. Carolina in the Final Four on the biggest stage. You thought maybe the Cinderella story for them would come to an end, especially when Armando Baycott fouled out. It kind of you kind of felt like it was going to go the other way. But this team, as they have for the last month and a half of the season. When they've been put in a, in a position where they have to make plays that you know dictate winning and losing, our guys rose to the occasion, and they made the plays. You gotta you gotta play. You gotta make it to, to win at this level. And as as a fan, as as a as a you know for the coaching staff and for the players, there's nothing more satisfying than watching kids make plays on the biggest stage time and time again. And and Carolina did that, but this one is sweet because it ends your arch rival's career. Coach K can now finally ride off into the sunset and enjoy the, the, the rest of his miserable life without winning that sixth elusive national championship. And, and for Carolina, it just continues to validate everything they've done the last year and a half or the last month and a half. It continues to validate the reason why when Roy Williams retired, Hubert Davis was handpicked as his uh, successor to lead Carolina basketball as he's now led them to the national title game in his first year, the fifth coach in the history of the sport to do that in his first season on the sidelines. And, and buddy, they're, every day, every day it's a great day to be a Tar Heel. But today, that feeling, it's a little bit sweeter. 
Yeah, it's about as sweet as it gets. Um, and it is just an amazing ride that is honestly kind of hard to put into words because there is nobody that thought that this was going to happen entering uh, really just entering the month of the, the month of March. I, I know there were a lot of people that got inspired, like the draw, and thought that this team could could go all the way, um, or could at least get to could, to the point that they got to tonight. Um, most people probably didn't think that it was going to be Duke that was going to be there, but you know, um, it's it's just it is amazing how this team has come together and how you just, I mean, you've seen the team grow, but I think again, tonight there, there were a couple of moments, especially late in the game where you just saw how much Hubert Davis has grown as a head coach. And you see a lot of Roy Williams and the way that he coached tonight, um, trying to inspire this team late on in the game to get the job done with how vocal he was on the sidelines. And, I think that's, you know, just something that he needed to get comfortable with. I think it took him a little bit of time. But once he settled in as a head coach, once he learned how to press the right buttons with this team, uh, it was off and running from there. We heard it from every national talking head earlier in the season. Look, the problem isn't talent for this Tar Heel team. It's about the effort. And it's just about the want to. And, you know, look, I think there are some games that you could have definitely questioned them on that. But I think the other thing was, is you were shifting from a Hall of Fame head coach to a guy that had coached a JV basketball team in Carolina that currently is not playing. Um, So, of course, it was going to take a little bit of time for there to be trust. And I think you've seen that throughout the year start to form and I mean look I I think everybody's going to look back to that game in Cameron as the turning point in the season and I think yes that's that's definitely one of the moments that you point to but I think you go back to the game before that I think that win against Syracuse where Caleb Love took one of the 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 ballsiest shots that you're going to see in in a Tar Heel game in recent memory um, and just knocked it down. And granted, that game had to go to overtime. But then for that team to fight through in overtime and get it done was really the start of Carolina's run because you've seen multiple moments like that since then. You saw, you know, from the overtime perspective, you saw it against Baylor. That was an experience, that Syracuse game, that the team could draw off of. And in this tournament, how many times have we seen Caleb Love be able to hit big shots because he can draw off the experience of that Syracuse game? He did it against UCLA. He did it again tonight. And, you know, again, I I think we've said it before, but at this point, it's got to be said. Um, You know, Caleb Love, nobody should be, you know, that that criticized him should, should be above this everybody is sorry for what they said earlier in the year. And look, maybe it served its purpose. And that's why he's doing the things that he's doing now is because he's got that chip on his shoulder, trying to prove everybody wrong. But man, without, without Caleb love, 
this team would not be anywhere close to where they are at right now. And he stepped up big tonight. He hit one of the biggest shots uh, in the history of the program. And it's one that's going to be played for years on end um, and, and deservedly so because it, it, it took down the man that uh, everybody wanted gone and has wanted gone for a long, long time. Um, and it is just an amazing, amazing night to be a Tar Heel. Um, and, and guess what? There's still one more game to go. As sweet as this is, the job's not finished yet. You mentioned that three that he made that made it a 78-74 to 74 game, and it really was the dagger um, for Carolina um, as they were able to put away Duke. And I think you're right. That shot, that shot's in the same breath as Michael shot in 82. Um, Luke May shot in 17. That'll mm-hmm. be in every hype, highlight reel, whatever it is about the regarding Carolina basketball, that shot will be there. Because that'll be the shot that that ended Coach K, and and that was what that that was that was what tonight was about. That was you you wanted to advance to the national championship game because once you're in the Final Four, you're you're really there to win a national title. But um, for Carolina, it's served a different purpose because you had a chance to knock your rival down for the second time in a month, and they were able to do just that. Behind Caleb Love, he was sensational in the second half scoring 28 points. Armando Paycott totaled 21 rebounds. That's the most ever by a Tar Heel in a national semifinal or national title game, uh, which is saying a lot when you consider the amount of uh, talented bigs that have come through Chapel Hill uh, over the last 60 years or so. And um, it was a game that lived up to the hype. Um, It felt, at first when the game started, it felt weird. Because it was the first time we've seen it in the NCAA tournament, let alone in the Final Four. But um, it felt like Duke Carolina because it was Mm -hmm. an evenly matched game. And you knew early on that game was not going to be decided in the first half. It wasn't going to be decided in the only part of the second half. It was going to come down to the wire. And that's what tonight's game did. And Carolina had just enough, despite losing Armando Baycott to foul trouble, to to able to, to pull it out. They used a big 13-0 run in the second half to erase a seven-point deficit to give themselves a six-point margin. And and from then, the game just kind of teetered back and forth. Each team would make a couple plays. But as Carolina has done the last month and a half of, of the season or so, when they had to make the, the final plays to determine the outcome, they were able to make just those plays. So let's move on now to the box score. Carolina shot just 42% from the field. They were 27 of 64. Duke was also 42% from the field. They were 30 of 72. But the kicker, Carolina, 10 of 26 from behind the three-point line for 39%. Duke was just 5 of 22 from behind the three-point line for 23%. Carolina, excuse me. It's late, so we're going to yawn through this podcast. With seven Jesus, come on, the bring the energy. Yeah, they were 17 and 24 from the foul line for 71%. Duke, though, left some freebies at the foul line as well. They were 12 of 20 for 60%, but Carolina dominated the glass 50 to 41 tonight. They had 17 offensive rebounds compared to Duke's 15 offensive rebounds, and Carolina had 33 defensive rebounds compared to Duke's 26. Uh, Carolina just seven assists on their 27 made baskets. 
Duke just 12 assists on their 30 made baskets. Duke had seven steals compared to Carolina's two. Carolina did out block Duke five to four. Carolina did commit 10 turns compared to Duke's four turnovers. Um, and Duke's largest lead in the game was seven. Carolina's largest lead in the game was six. Let's move on now to our stat or, or to our quote of the game, excuse me. And as we've done throughout this NCAA tournament run, we go to Hubert Davis, who spoke with Tracy Wolfson uh, moments after Carolina's win over Duke, what the, what the win means. And now as Carolina turns their attention to Kansas on Monday night in the national title game. How about for you, for this program, to bring it back to where you said you wanted it to be? I see the tears. Where do those come from? Well, it is. I talked to you about it the other day that I wanted, you know, I felt like over the last two or three years, North Carolina wasn't relevant. North Carolina should never be irrelevant. It should be front and center with the spotlight on them, on players like Caleb and RJ. And I just, um, I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for our program, our university. It's a beautiful day for Carolina basketball. More raw emotion from Carolina's head basketball coach who, who's been, who's, you know, who, who, who put up with a lot of crap the first three months on the job. And that's coming from me. I was a, a guy that was, that was very critical of him. And, and at the time, I thought the criticism was deserved and it was fair. But um, in the last month and a half, he has proven why he was the right man for the job all along and why this program is in, is in good hands and will continue to be in good hands under his watchful guidance um, as Carolina's basketball head coach. Let's move on now to the stat of the game. I thought it was three-point shooting. Um, I thought Carolina making 10 of 26 from behind the three-point line, that was significant. They got the 10, the, the 10 made triples. I, I said going in, the magic number was going to be from anywhere from 8 to 10. But they also defended the three-point line really well, limiting Duke to just 5 of 22 from behind the three-point line. Before we get into our takeaways, though, we got to have a discussion because a lot of discussions were had going into this game about was it is it the best game, biggest game in the history of the Final Four? What, was it was it the biggest game in the history of the rivalry? Was it the biggest when it biggest game in the history of the program? I do think it was the biggest non-national championship win in the history of Carolina basketball. It was all against your rival in the biggest stage of the sport that took that that ended your your rival's coaching career. He's now gone. And I do also think, like the rivalry will never be dead because it's Duke and Carolina. And I do think that under Hubert Davis and for Duke now under John Shire, they're still going to deliver great college basketball games for the next 50 to 60 years. But it really makes it hard from the Duke side of things to, to, to make any argument that makes it legitimate. Carolina has more all-time wins, more wins in the rivalry, more Final Fours, more national championships, more wins in the NCAA tournament. And now they have the two best wins in the rivalry. You beat Coach K in his building in his final regular season game of his career in a game meant to celebrate him against you and send him out on top. And then you ended his career in the final four. I don't see how Duke comes back from that unless they meet again in the NCAA tournament, but at this point, it'd have to be in a national title game, and they'd have to win the game, but it took 83 years for them to meet in the NCAA tournament. History will tell you this isn't happening anytime soon, and it's going to be really hard, barring Duke 
making more Final Fours and winning more national championships for them to ever really say they're on the right side of the rivalry moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be a tough argument moving forward because uh, this was we, – we felt like this for really both sides. This was the ultimate trump card. And now you put this in the same – category along with the fact that you beat him in his final home game and yeah what was a week-long celebration of his career it's going to be hard for Duke fans to try to come back at at Tar Heel fans for at least a while um but it's war I mean for for Carolina I, I mean I said this to our guy Colin Hoggard who who you know is a P1 to the show and has been, you know, uh, uh, on the show before and is extremely supportive. I mean, look, you know, I, it, it'd be worth it to lose the next five or six in a row just to take this one tonight because, yeah, this one will last for a long, long time. I'm not going to say that the that 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 the, the rivalry's over because it's not. I mean, they, these two teams are still going to play for years down the line, you've now got a coach for Carolina that, uh, you know, played in the rivalry and now has coached in the rivalry next year. You'll have a guy that played for Duke uh, in the rivalry and, and, and will now coach for Duke in the rivalry starting next year. So uh, I, I still think there's, there's definitely going to be a lot of hatred there and it's still going to be a great rivalry, but yeah, this is, this is a moment that we knew would probably come someday. And when it happened, it was going to be hard for the other fan base to respond. Um, and all I can say at this point is I'm glad that we're on the right side of it because <laughs> I did not want to have to deal with, with that. Um, the, the, the best part of this, though, too, is not only do you end Coach K's career, we heard all week about how this game was going to be different because this was going to be the motivation, the revenge game for Duke. All these dudes were ready to go. And yeah, they, maybe they were ready to go. Didn't matter how, with, with how much angst and extra energy you tried to play with in this game, Carolina just proved that they were the better team than Duke this year. And once again, Here's the thing, man. You got veterans on this team. It's always going to work out that way. The Duke way, not going to work out to win national championships. So, you, you know, you hate, you, you, you hate to see it, but uh, there he goes. He's off, he's off into the sunset, and uh, Carolina's on to play for a title. My favorite part about all of this is remember back in the ACC tournament when Duke got past Miami and they said they wanted to see Carolina in the final? Then Carolina got beat. They lose to Virginia Tech. And then the next night, Duke All part of the plan. Punked. All part of the plan. Well, you know, and then the next night, Duke gets punked by Virginia Tech, who was playing their fourth game in as many days to lose the ACC tournament title. And then it sets up for you again. You... Carolina gets the breaks they needed to have in their their side of the bracket to to get to the Final Four. Duke beat some teams that we all didn't think they were capable of beating, and they make the Final Four. And then you get beat, and then you don't even have the decent sportsmanship to shake their hands. All them classless chumps walked off the court 
with their heads looking at the floor, accepting the fate that they are what they were destined to be from the moment they committed there. Failures. They failed. They failed. They failed their coach. They failed themselves. And they failed their families because they couldn't do what they what they set out to do. What everyone told us all season long, they're more than capable of winning a national championship. And they couldn't do it. And that's the best part is that they 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 let down so many people in the state of New Jersey is just they're just crying right now. They don't know oh, what to yeah, do with yeah. themselves. Last week it was St. Peter's losing to Carolina and now and and now their favorite school Duke loses to Carolina. It's just that's- it's okay. They got Shaheen Holloway taking over at Seton Hall, so naturally they're just going to transition their fanship. I, I mean, I, I, it, it is, uh, yeah. The 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 not shaking hands at the end um, is is strange. And look, I don't know. Is is that do they not do teams normally not shake hands? I mean, did Kansas and Villanova? I I honestly did not focus at the end of the game on the handshake line for Kansas and Villanova. Um, but it's not a good look. And here's, and here's the thing about it is look, man, we say all this stuff on here about coach K and everything like that. And look, I'm glad that he is off and out of the rivalry because yeah, now, I mean, look, part of the reason that there was hatred was that the dude was successful and he was successful against Carolina, but, um, you know, he, he shook hands with, the coaching the coaches afterwards he actually went and found Armando Baycott after the game and told him that he hopes he's he's all right with the ankle and everything like that um so look you gotta you gotta give him the respect for that but yeah that move from the rest of the team um and 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 shouldn't be shocked the assistant coaches um is pretty shameless but what are you gonna do um, you know, I, I, I heard earlier this week from, you know, w- w- when we pull audio and stuff like that for the, for, for our job, um, basically they do Duke, Duke players and other staff members took it personally that Carolina celebrated on their court. Hmm. Um, but I, I don't really understand. That's kind of how it works. Um, and if that's really why you're that butthurt over it. I don't really know what to tell you. Um, frankly, you can kiss our ass because this is this is what a rivalry is. Um, I, you don't you don't want people to celebrate on your court when the game. Lose. I know I know that's hard for you because you haven't seemed to be able to do that the last two times, despite all the extra motivation. But I, my my issue at this point is more with the players and the assistant coaching staff. And and I'm going to be honest, this is probably something that you should expect over the next couple of years, because this seems to be right up John Shire's alley. Um, He was not one of the ones that did not shake hands in the first game or in the second game of the season, excuse me. But uh, one of the guys, the guy that's probably eyeing up being his, top assistant potentially Chris Carwell um was one of the guys that didn't so I would expect more of this going forward um and frankly I don't really care I think that Carolina 
if they keep uh, most of these guys in place, which I think is possible, they can blast this team for another couple of years. So, yeah, no, you're you're definitely right, and I I do think, like you know, we're we're gonna make fun of them, and rightfully so, because they're 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 classless sore losers, but it. it it adds a, another element to the rivalry that will just continue to prove that it's not the best rivalry just in college basketball. It's not just the best rivalry in college athletics. It's the best rivalry we have in North American sports. And you can maybe make the argument across the world. It's the best rivalry in sports because not many other rivalries have to offer what Duke Carolina has to offer. But as of right now, that rivalry is teetering so far in Carolina's direction, you can't even see the Duke side of the rivalry after what Carolina's done to them within the last month. So with that, guys, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to play you this week's ad from DraftKings, and then when we come back, we'll get into it. We'll get actually break down the game a little bit more, give our thoughts and takeaways from Carolina's win over Duke in the Final Four that vaults them into the national title game on Monday night against Kansas. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your favorite team's victory into your own big win. And we mean the Tar Heels. Bet on the heels to get it done, guys. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win, the Tar Heels, and get $200 in free bets if they do so. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Hey guys, make sure you head over to the website right now. We've got all the coverage that you need as Carolina takes down the Duke Blue Devils to move on to the national championship game on Monday night. Josh has you covered with a recap of the biggest win in the history of college basketball and now turns the attention towards Monday night's matchup. He'll have all the coverage for you, the preview, the recap of the national championship game as the Tar Heels battle the Jayhawks and hope to bring home their eighth title. Check it out right now, HeelToughBlog.com. So I know I teased when we went to break that we were going to talk about X's and O's when we came back, and we are in a second. This game wasn't won. I mean, it was won by shot making and by rebounding and and that and the other. The tougher team won tonight's ball game, and that that tougher team was Carolina. Um, they were tough to to make big shots. They were tough to to grab rebounds when they absolutely needed to grab rebounds. They were tough enough, especially Armando Baycott, who rolled an ankle and it didn't look good. He walked it off, got it retaped, came back and and gave Carolina a thing or two before fouling out. 
they were tough enough to survive him fouling out because I think whenever he picked up that fifth foul, we got that uneasy feeling in the bottom of our stomachs thinking this thing isn't going to go the way we want it to go. And I, you know, during my rants in January and early parts of February, the, the biggest thing we talked about was how Carolina wasn't tough. They were soft. And this got brought up in the media availability earlier this week uh, when Jeff Goodman asked Armando Baycott a question. And Armando Baycott remembered that Jeff Goodman called him soft. And he said, thank you, because that really pissed us off and it fueled us to get here. And um, he said he, he thought they were the toughest team in the Final Four. And I think that's an accurate statement. Um, their, their opponent on Monday nights are going to be a really tough team. Um, and, and had they had to play Villanova, Villanova was a tough team in their own regard. But I thought Carolina was just tough tonight. They didn't play well. They didn't shoot the ball well. Um, just 42% from the field. But I thought they were – as you know, they they defended really tough. I thought they they really competed on the backboards, out re, out rebounding Duke fifty to forty one. And um, one of the big things about this team's turnaround over the last month and a half or so has been their their ability to play with energy, effort, and toughness. And that toughness really showed up tonight in a big time way. Yeah, and again, it's just. It, it honestly showed up when you when you needed it the most down the stretch of the game, and I mean we talked about it so many times, and 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 it's kind of a theme of a lot of teams that Carolina's played, and this is the team that I think has probably been tested the most down the stretch in games that Carolina's faced in these types of situations, but it seems like every time in this postseason. And, you know, even even a little bit late in the regular season, when Carolina has been faced with these types of situations, they've found a way to win the game because they have been through so many experiences of close games late in the year uh, and they find ways to pull it out. So once again, I mean, you know, it was it was back and forth down the stretch and Carolina had to make shots. Carolina had to make free throws and look, it still wasn't a perfect night by any stretch of the imagination from the free throw line, but the ones that they had to make, they made. And, you know, a lot of credit has to go to them. It was a tough, I mean, look, it was a tough night defensively for them at times because yeah, it was, you, you could tell that they were definitely hesitant at times um, you know, to try to go up and, and, and contest shots and everything like that because they knew that this was a game that was called very, very close. Um, I'm shocked. They were really from, you know, not, not only in, in Carolina's direction, and there were definitely some fouls that I think we all were left scratching our heads on, but really in both directions. I could not believe how tight they called this game. I really thought they were going to let a lot more go, kind of let these two teams go to battle. Um, but Carolina down the stretch of the game, when they needed to get important rebounds, they were fearful, um, or fear, fear, fearless, excuse me. Um, and they, they and, and they did exactly what they had to do. And I, I, I thought, yeah, you're right. It was just an overall tough performance. And, you know, the toughest moment was, was Caleb Love making that shot because look, this was not a team that shot great from beyond the arc on the night. Yeah, they got to that magic number that I talked about, which was 10. 
but there were a lot of really good looks for Carolina that did not go down. There were a lot of tough shots that Carolina was taking early on in the game that just weren't falling. And in games earlier this year, they would have let that get them off track, but they kept pushing, kept taking those shots from the outside, and eventually they started to fall. And that toughest moment of the night came from a guy that, uh, you know, we, we early in the season didn't know if he could handle those types of tough moments. And now down the stretch of the year, that's all he's done. Yeah, Caleb Love, that that shot, um, that's that's big time. That's that's what, but but as Tar Heel fans, that's what we expect from our point guards. We we got great point guard history, um, and, and Caleb Love is certainly putting himself into that next list of of, of guards that are, are you know a, you know a great player to play here at Carolina, but. The ability, the the willingness, the desire, um, to to take that shot in that moment, and then to be tough enough to make it, that speaks volumes. And in the second half tonight, he was sensational. Um, Carolina doesn't win the ball game without him in the second half. I thought in the first half, well, you know, it was it was the R.J. Davis show. Um, he kind of kept Carolina in striking distance while they were trying to settle into the game and. Um, he was making shot after shot like he like we needed him to at the time. But I think we all knew deep down if Carolina was going to win the ball game, it was going to be behind Caleb Love. And in the second half, I thought the biggest thing he did was instead of settling for perimeter jump shots like he did in the first half, he got to the paint. It's like that light switch came on like it did against UCLA in the Sweet 16 matchup. Hey, I'm I'm big, I'm fast, I'm strong. They can't guard me. I can get where I want to get to and get the shots I want to get. Then he was getting to the rim. His mid-range game was there, and then he was hitting three-point shots as well. He had a three-level scoring uh, uh, arsenal going in that second half. And um, look, this is a, this is a kid that that's been through a lot. Um, last year, his first year as a Tar Heel, he had to deal through a COVID season. Didn't get to experience what being a, a Carolina basketball player was. Then his head coach retires. The guy that recruited him, the guy he committed to play for. Um, and, you know, there was rumors about him potentially looking to, to transfer after that. Comes back, decides to come back, play for Hubert Davis. And it wasn't an easy season as well throughout the year. He had a, lots of ups and downs. But um, he has really turned into a, a kid that he's, he's still going to do some things that make you question what he's doing. But Carolina isn't where they are without him. And it's been a lot of fun to see his individual growth over the last month and a half, two months to become this type of player. Cause we knew all along when he committed, that's who Caleb Love could be. And he's put it all together. And now he's on the brink of winning a national championship and, and putting his name in a long list of Carolina greats. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you, you talked about it. The first game of the last two weekends he has literally flipped the switch and just taken over games. Mm -hmm. um, and it is amazing how good he has looked um, in those, in those crunch time situations and, and the type of big shots that he's hit. I mean, hit the huge one against UCLA that gave him the lead. And, you know, in this one extended the lead to four and, 
really that was the moment where it, it, it was over. And man, it, it is just, it, it, again, it, it is just amazing how far this dude has come just throughout this season. Um, and yeah, like you said, I mean, in the off season, we pretty much thought this dude was good as gone. Um, we thought that he was headed to play for Mizzou. Um, and that, that, you know, he, he ends up sticking around. Um, props have to be given to Huber Davis on that for convincing him to stick around and, and keep pushing. And yeah, now he, here we are um, with him. Yeah. On the brink of, of, potentially winning a national championship. And, you know, I know that when, when you talk about the all-time great point guards in Carolina history, I don't really know where Caleb Love's name is, is going to show up. I, I don't think it's going to be in the same class as some of these other guys. But when it comes to how important he was for a national title run, he's going to be right at the top of the list because – I mean, look, there were some moments late in the regular season, but he has really taken it to another level here in the tournament in terms of the types of big shots that he hits. I mean, even the game against St. Peter's in the Elite Eight where no one really played great, um, you know, he, he had a couple of big shots and he had the big dunk. And, I, I mean, it's just this guy knows when he has to step up, knows when he has to make a play now. And you just have to give him – you know, all the props for growing in season. I, we, we've looked at a lot of guys that have done that on this team, but I don't think none of uh, anybody has done it more than him. Um, to, to go from a guy that honestly, there were times where we questioned why he was still on the court in certain, certain situations mm. um, to now being a guy that is pretty much the heart and soul of this team offensively um is it, just amazing and he's he, he's got to be given a lot of credit Hubert Davis has to be given a lot of credit for getting the best out of him and he, he's on the precipice of, of of being uh able to help Carolina win a national championship uh and do it for a guy that as we we've seen this year uh he has a, a special connection with that we probably didn't realize uh you know even last off season when we were sitting here uh in, in Roy Williams as we, yeah. you know we saw him high five him the entire season coming out of the tunnel and for for him to be able to win that national championship and point to Roy Williams I think would just be one of the most special moments in Tar Heel history another reason Carolina is advancing to to the final is they they made enough three-point shots I did thought I did think in the first half I thought they were too reliant on the outside shot especially after getting Mark Williams in foul trouble early and then getting Theo John in foul trouble and effectively fouled him out basically in the first half of the ball game um I, I thought Carolina could have went inside more often but you know look they had their game plan and it, and it worked to fruition but 10 of 26 from behind the three-point line. Um, all 10 three-pointers made by the starters. Love and Manic combined to make six. RJ made two, and Leaky Black underratedly hit two big threes as mm -hmm. well. Um, and, look, Carolina needed them. Um, they they entered the final four making double-digit three-pointers and three of their four wins so far. The only one they didn't make double digits was against St. Peter's. And, 
frankly, they, they didn't need to shoot the three ball well in that game to win the ball game with all the, the, the size <laughs> advantage they had inside. But we knew coming into tonight, Carolina's going to have to shoot the three ball really well. And um, they shot 39% from behind the arc. Um, you had Love's dagger three, um, which, of course, we'll, we'll all remember. Brady Maddock made a tough three-pointer in the corner where he was so far to the corner he couldn't even come all the way down without going out of bounds, was tough enough to keep his heel off the baseline, double pumped and, 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 and put in a three-pointer. But as great as Carolina shot the ball, I thought they defended the three ball really well, uh, just as equally as well. They allowed they only limit allowed Duke to shoot five of twenty two from behind the three point line, um, and they 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 were able to har- harass Roach. Roach was zero of five from three, um, and AJ Griffin was zero of four from three. And like you knew, you know, you you let Bancaro get his, and he was just two of four from behind the three point line. But um, thought Carolina's defense on the perimeter has been really well this tournament, and that showed up again tonight, um, holding due to just 5 of 22 from behind the three-point line. By the way, you are you are really starting to lose your grammar here towards the end of the evening, but yeah. uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, and that, to me, was the most frustrating part of the game, if you want to talk about what was making you most anxious, was – Duke, Duke couldn't hit anything outside of the paint consistently. Yeah. And they, you knew, look, if we can keep them out of there, they, they're not winning this game. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was just a phenomenal performance on the perimeter again. And this is the second time in a row against them where they, they, they stepped up and – and, and did what they had to do um, to, to take away that element of this Duke team. And, and you could – I mean, look, there were some shots that you could live with. Some guys made some tough shots late in the game for them that, you know, kind of led to the back-and-forth element. But here's the thing. Even though it wasn't a great first half from three for Carolina, and I think you're right. I think they 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 – forced a lot of shots up early on and to me didn't make a whole lot of sense as you were saying because I thought the game plan going in had to be get the ball inside to Armando Baycott let everything on the outside open up that wasn't the way that the game started out but you didn't it's one of the rare times that you're going to say this but we've been saying it all year. You do not want to get into a perimeter shootout with this Tar Heel team because especially if you can get Caleb Love rolling or really just one of the guards. And, you know, the thing I thought was interesting tonight was I thought in the first half, Caleb Love clearly off from beyond the arc. Well, who steps up from back there? R.J. Davis. And you had, of course, you know, Brady Manick in the mix, Leaky Black two big ones early in that first half. But then in the second half, R.J. Davis cools off. Well, Caleb Love steps up. Brady Manick, of course, hits his two biggest threes of the night um, by far in that second half. The one that you were talking about, which is one that probably won't be talked about a whole lot, but was an absolutely outstanding shot by him just to keep his heels off the ground long enough to make the shot and not be out of bounds and then 
of course, hits the one, um, which was kind of a little bit awkward from him. Uh, that extended the lead to, or, or actually gave the Tar Heels a lead back after I believe it was Trevor Keels hit a three on the other end for Duke that gave them the lead back. Uh, Carolina, that 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 shot by Manic uh, put them back on top, seventy three to seventy one. I mean, it's just th- this team this year from the perimeter. It, there there were moments, and we knew there were going to be these moments when we talked about how well they were shooting it out of the gate early in the year. Um, but there, there were moments where, where they went through a slump. But this is one of the best perimeter shooting teams that I can ever remember in Tar Heel history. Um, it, it's one of the times where, yeah, you, you feel pretty confident that, hey, if you want to get into a shootout from beyond the arc, we can win it. And Duke tried to play that game late, and Carolina said, all right, well, we're just – if you want to play that game, we'll play along with you. And it was – that that's the difference in the game, as you mentioned. Um, and you got to give a lot of credit to, you know, Caleb Love and, and, and Brady Manick on the offensive end, Leaky Black as well. But really, I think the guy that people need to talk more about is Leaky because, yeah, he hits two big shots from beyond the arc, three and nine overall which those two shots from beyond the arc, he was 0 for 11 from beyond the arc since February 28th coming into the night. So he had really cooled off. He had, you know, a a pretty good stretch there, middle to late part of the season, uh, middle of conference play where he was starting to shoot the ball better, but he had really cooled off offensively. But tonight, eight points, nine rebounds, and lock down A.J. Griffin. Some people were questioning putting him on A.J. Griffin and kind of just leaving Brady Manick with Bancaro. Look, Bancaro had 20, but on 8 of 17, I thought Brady Manick fought really hard against him, especially when Bancaro tried to go into the post a couple of times. Brady blocked a couple of shots, affected a couple of other ones. But it worked out because A.J. Griffin, 1 of 7 in this game, 0 of 4 from 3, and... He, he locks up the guy that Carolina could not take away in the first game of the season and the guy that was a major difference. So hats off to Leaky Black, who just continues to show why he might be the best defensive player in college basketball this season and hopefully maybe next season as well. Yeah, no, he was he was sensational again tonight, and he had to be. And and he knew that going in, and that ability to rise to the occasion, knowing you got to do the one thing you do well, really freaking well, um, to give your team a chance. And he's done it all five games so far of this tournament run. And um, he even said it in the post game that it's because he got pretty emotional walking off the court, realizing he's going to play for a national championship on Monday night. He's had a rough Tar Heel career. A lot of different things, whether it's been injuries, COVID, the fan base, whatever. And um, But he's been showered with love during this, this entire season for what he's brought to this team defensively. And he's added an offensive element that this team has needed at times and needed it tonight. And really happy for Leak Eve as well. The last thing I really thought that, that Carolina did that allowed them to win the game was I thought they rebounded the ball the way they had to. 50-41, uh, to 41 is that tells you there was a lot of missed shots, and both teams grabbed double-digit offensive rebounds. And 
there were some times where it felt like Carolina was getting out rebounded because they they weren't rebounding the ball sometimes to the to, to my liking and to probably a lot of people's liking. But um, when you have Armando Paycott grab twenty one rebounds by himself, um, the most ever by a Tar Heel in the in in, in a Final Four game, um, it allows you to to put yourself in a good position to rebound or in, and win the rebounding margin. But um, I thought that was a really big key. Um, and it helped that Carolina was able to get Mark Williams out of foul trouble uh, it, it, as well as Theo John. But we said going in, hey, it had to be a gang rebounding effort. Baycott got 21 of them, but you had to spread around 29 rebounds between all the mm-hmm. other guys that were on the court tonight. And it was a total team effort by Carolina on the glass, which allowed them to to dictate the pace at which they wanted to play. And it allowed them to get some easy second chance points, which at different points during the game they definitely needed. Uh, as that's to, to help lift Carolina to a win. Yeah, well, first of all, ugly, ugly game. Uh, and you could tell, like, even getting to 81 points for Carolina. Um, look, th- these were – I mean, it was two teams that combined for 32 offensive rebounds. So mm-hmm. you had to create a lot of second-chance opportunities just to get your team to that point. Carolina was 17 of them. And, and I mean, look, Armando, eight offensive rebounds. But how about Leaky Black with six offensive rebounds himself? Nine rebounds on the night total. And, yeah, that's one of the guys that we looked at even earlier in the season and said he's got to be a big part of this team rebounding-wise if they want to get to the level that we know they're capable of getting to. And look, I mean, Brady Manick, your your forward, he had four rebounds all night. Him and Caleb Love with four rebounds. R.J. Davis had seven, all of them defensive rebounds. So R.J. Davis coming up clutch where, you know, some of the other guys, you know, I mean, Baycott, you know, he had had 13 uh, defensive rebounds. But for a guy like R.J. to get in there on the defensive glass like that is – Tremendous, and and it's exactly what you wanted to see, especially in a game like this where you knew it was going to be hard fought on the glass. But that's an area that, as the season has progressed, Carolina started to look more and more like a Roy Williams team on the glass, and that's where I think you're talking about all the different elements that go into the Huber Davis coaching style. And he said it when he took the job: "Look, I want to pull some things." from Dean Smith. I want to pull some things from Roy Williams and I want to pull, pull some things from uh, Bill Guthridge. And look, he's also thrown some of his own things in there because it's rare that you're going to see a Carolina team play like they do now um, because it's, let's be honest, it's, it's a more modern offense. It's a more NBA like offense. It's geared towards that because you frankly have to be, Uh, in the modern era of basketball, but you're still seeing the focus be on hitting the glass. And that's something that he learned for, uh, you know, in his time as an assistant coach under Roy Williams. And I think it's something that probably got hammered into his head. And now it's, it's just something that he's kept going uh, here moving forward. And, you know, with Armando Baycott, I mean, it's just outstanding at this point, first of all, you know, congratulations to him for overtaking 
the lead all of, at, for all-time double-doubles mm. in the ACC in a single season with 30 now on the season. And, man, to take that from a guy that is as good and as legendary as Tim Duncan uh, is amazing. And, and nobody's saying, look, nobody's saying he's going to be Tim Duncan or anything like that at the NBA level. But this is an unbelievable accomplishment for a guy that last year there were there were times that you, you kind of wonder was he did, did he have that edge you know and I think that that can mean a couple of different things but he, he was he was a guy that you know at times would kind of disappear on the glass and stuff like that he'd let other guys sort of take the reins this year, that's not the case. He knew he had to step up. I don't think anybody saw this coming, though. This is now back-to-back games where he has had 20 or more rebounds. I mean, that's unbelievable. And to do it in this game, when Carolina needed him to step up the most, he actually, you know, of course, goes down with the ankle injury, comes back into the game, and it is, it, you know, it ends up fouling out. But Still, even to come back into the game was amazing. Got a couple of key rebounds um, when Carolina needed him there before he exited the game. I mean, it, it is just the the story of this of this guy. You talk about one of the more unprecedented players in, in Tar Heel history. Um, that that I I think you know you, you're going to start seeing him on some of these all time lists before too long here, especially if he wins a national championship. And it is a, a, a couple of uh, a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, actually, still, uh, you know, you you probably would have thought he would fit into the Garrison Brooks category of the 2019 season. Great year, but part of a team that probably underachieved. Now he's going to be in that conversation with some of the all-time great picks. Oh, yeah, you're definitely right about that. He, uh, he He's going to have his place among the, the, the Carolina bigs. that are, He's going to be mentioned in the same breath of the Worthies, the Hansboroughs, the Mays, the, all those guys um, that, that we didn't – we thought was possible upon – his arrival because he was a highly rated recruit coming out, but his first two years were rather underwhelming to, to a certain degree, but he has really put it all together this year. Um, and he has been a joy to watch and he's been a lot of fun to watch and he's really embodied what, what Hubert Davis wants this program to be about. And, and hopefully that culminates Monday with the national championship that is going to wrap up this edition of the four corners podcast. But before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to get over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. All the coverage from the Duke game will be up on the site, and I'll be getting you ready for Monday's uh, matchup with Kansas as well as Carolina's season will come to an end one way or another on, on Monday night in New Orleans. Um, so get over to the website for all the great basketball coverage, football side of things. There's stuff up on the site as well from all the stuff that came out of, of camp this past week and stuff like that. So we're keeping you covered on the football side of things as Carolina's basketball season comes to a close this weekend. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast when we'll pop up. You can like the pod, you can review the pod, but most importantly, we do encourage you guys 
hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the podcast throughout the remainder of the season. What is going to wrap up this edition of the show? Do you want to thank Anthony for staying up late to record with me? Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.